When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, welcome to The Tents. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for yet another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. You know, one of the things that we talk about around here a lot is the concept of the aquarium as a microbiome or a biome or even a habitat, a habitat for a wide variety of organisms at many levels. Over the years, I thought a lot about how we as botanical style enthusiasts gradually build up our systems and how the entire approach is about creating a biome, a little closed ecosystem, which requires us to support the organisms which comprise it at every level, just like what nature does. These organisms, our little friends, are priceless additions to our aquarium environments. Not only does this community of organisms help process nutrients and improve the overall environment for the fishes, it serves as part of their sustenance via the creation of a food web, a concept we talked about more than a few times here. Yeah, a food web in our aquariums. It's not only possible to construct one, I think it's pretty much a must-have for the serious botanical-style aquarium enthusiast. To me, these are fascinating fundamental constructs which can, tr- which can truly have you know, important influence on our aquariums. So what exactly is a food web? Well, a food web is defined by aquatic ecologists as a series of what do they call trophic connections, i.e. feeding and nutritional resources in a given habitat among various species in an aquatic community. All food chains and webs have at least two or three of these trophic levels. Generally, there's a maximum of four trophic levels. Many consumers feed at more than one trophic level, to make it a little more confusing. So a trophic level, in our case, would go something like this. Leaf litter, bacterial fungal growth, crustaceans, and fish. In the wild aquatic habitats that we love so much, uh, food webs are vital to the organisms which live in them. They're an absolute model for ecological interdependencies and the processes which encompass the relationship between the terrestrial and the aquatic environments. Another thing we beat the shit out of every week, right? So how would we go about constructing a food web in our botanical style aquariums? For that matter, how do we help recreate this microbiome that we keep yapping about here? Well, as you might guess, it all starts with how we set up our aquarium. A typical botanical style aquarium has, in no particular order, a rich substrate, Hopefully you're using one of our sedimented substrates or you're doing your own, but there you go. An abundance of leaves and botanical materials and a moderate water movement and light. All of these are key ingredients which stimulate the growth and development of a wide diversity of organisms which make up this little milieu. And the beauty of this all is that you don't have to add cultures of every one of these organisms or life forms to get them to colonize your tank. Nature sees to that. As we all know by now, the first thing that happens when you add botanicals and leaves into an aquarium is that burst of bacterial biofilms that begins to proliferate. Uh, our other pals, the fungi, arrive on the scene in much the same manner as biofilms. Now, fungi are so misunderstood. We'll talk about them a little bit more. We've beaten the crap out of biofilms a lot. Fungi reproduce by releasing little tiny spores that then germinate on new and hospital surfaces. Uh, hospitable surfaces, excuse me. So that's pretty much anywhere they damn well please, basically. 
these fungi are involved in the decay of wood and leafy material. And of course, when you submerge terrestrial you know, materials in water, growths of fungi tend to arise. Anyone who's ever cured a piece of aquatic wood for their aquarium can attest to this. There's about 3,000 species that are known to be associated with aquatic habitats. That's a lot of species. Aquatic true fungi are known as, check this one out for your next cocktail party, osmoorganotrophs. And that's a really fancy way of saying that they absorb nutrients across their cell wall. Most of them have a sort of a filamentous morphology at some point during their life cycle, which is what we're kind of used to, right? This morphology in a, in, you know, enables them to invade deep into substrates and directly you know, digest particles of organic matter, particulate organic matter in particular, <laughs> P-O-M, to acquire nutrients for growth and reproduction. Still ecological humor there. The fungal community um, consumes microscopic algae, aquatic microphytes, and terrestrial plant litter, including wood. Aquatic fungi act as really significant decomposers of particulate organic matter, specifically coarse particulate organic matter, which includes both plant and animal material. We see this in nature and absolutely in our aquariums. Fungi play a huge role in the decomposition of leaves, both in the wild and in the aquarium. By utilizing a, sort of a special enzyme that they have on board, um, fungi can degrade most of the molecular components in leaves like cellulose, hemocellulose, starch, pectin, and even lignin pretty easily. Depending on various factors such as leaf litter type and local water chemistry, fungal decomposition of leaves can take anywhere from one month to six months. The fungi that are known to ecologists as aquatic hyphomycites produce enzymes which cause leaf maceration. In other words, they break it up. And in as little as two to three weeks, as much as 15% of decomposing leaf biomass in many aquatic habitats is processed by fungi, according to one study I found. That's pretty incredible. These little guys do a lot. Fungi, although not the most attractive-looking organisms, are incredibly useful. And they play well with a surprisingly large number of aquatic life forms to create substantial food webs, both in the wild and in our aquariums. Natural habitats are absolutely filled with this stuff. It's like the whole game here, an explosion of life-giving materials, free for the taking. Fungi are actually an important item for other life forms in the aquatic environments that we love so much. In one study I stumbled across, gut content of over, I think it was 100 different aquatic insects collected from... Uh, submerged wood and leaves show that fungi comprise, comprise part of their diet more than 60, in more than 60% of them. And in turn, aquatic fungi were found in gut content analysis of many, many species of fishes from the same environments. And of course, there are, you know, these are organisms that are ubiquitous. They're free for the taking. And of course, there are organisms that you can add to your aquarium on top of these. What do I do? Well, I add bacteria. Uh, in my case, I use the purple non-sulfur or PNS bacteria, which we offer via our product known as Culture, uh, I, because these are highly adaptable bacteria called Rhodospumonis paldostris, and they not only work with the nutrients and compounds you know present in the aquarium via the materials, they'll help kickstart the nitrogen cycle as well. It's exactly what we envision the product to do to complement the botanical style aquarium approach and to facilitate the development of a rich microbiome with natural processes. PNSB, purple non-sulfur bacteria, consume carbon and nutrients in anaerobic environments, thereby competing with microbes that produce toxic metabolites like hydrogen sulfide. So unlike nitrifying and denitrifying bacteria, they're capable of performing photosynthesis. That's crazy, right? In addition, they've been demonstrated repeatedly to possess strong probiotic properties that promote the health of diverse aquatic species, like fish, for example. 
And the beauty is, like nitrifying bacteria, PNSB metabolize ammonium in nitrite and nitrate. And they're not just important to the nitrogen cycle. They're also capable of a process called aerobic organoheterotrophy. It's a process of removing dissolved organics from the water column, just like other microbes. As extremophiles, they're perfect for botanical-centric aquariums like we play with. And of course, you can actually culture some organisms like paramecium, for example, to pre-stock your tank before you add fishes, you know, by creating an infusoria culture. Ah, yes, infusoria. We've talked about that before, right? It's one of those delightful catch-all terms from the golden age of aquarium keeping. And it basically may be described as a real catch-all in, you know, term for a lot of small aquatic organisms like euglenids, protozoa, unicellular algae, little tiny invertebrates that are commonly found in freshwater environments like ponds, creeks, and drainage ditches. And they're used as first food for tropical fish fry. Sometimes infusoria is referred to as green water in older hobby literature, a real, real vague descriptor. In modern formal biological classifications, the term infusoria is considered an antiquated, obsolete descriptor, as most of the organisms previously included in that collective term are assigned to all kinds of different taxonomic groups. Nonetheless, it's a charming, albeit somewhat antiquated term that's still used in aquarium circles to describe those little tiny organisms that arrive when you soak some blanched lettuce, vegetable skin, or other plant matter, hello leaves, in a jar of water. They're perfectly sized for young tropical fish, of course, because they're, when they're free swimming, they're about 25 to 300 microns, and they're consumable by most fishes as soon as they've absorbed their yolk sac. So it sounds good, but how do you make this stuff? Well, traditionally, it was done the most low-tech way possible. You take some blanched lettuce leaves, old flower clippings, hay, etc., and basically let the stuff decompose in water, and after a few days, a smelly solution of cloudy water will arise, driven by bacteria. Ultimately, after a few more days, the water will clear when creatures like paramecium and euglena arrive on the scene and consume the rampant bacteria population that you have in the jar. Voila, in theory, you have an infusoria culture. You can simply add this culture water to your botanical-style aquarium, and in theory, you've started to inoculate your tank with a variety of organisms, which can help create a foundation for the ecology. Now, embracing these life forms is a key pillar of what you know we do really stands out in aquarium practice. Far different than the typical approach to starting an aquarium, which is really more reliant on filtration, external food inputs, you know, from us, and the execution of consistent maintenance to get through the startup period when a typical system is almost sterile compared to our botanical style ones. The next set of organisms that you could add would consist of some well-known ones like pure cultures of Daphnia, perhaps some of the other more commonly available live freshwater crustaceans like copepods. Uh, gammarus, cyclops, etc. You put them in, just let them do their thing before you add your fishes. This way, you've got sort of the makings of a little food web going on, and the small crustaceans are helping to feed off some of the available nutrients in the lower life forms, and then the fish come in and feed off everybody else. I've experimented with this idea of onboard food culturing in several aquarium systems over the past few years, which were stocked with leaves, twigs, and other botanical materials for the sole purpose of culturing, maybe a better term is recruiting, uh, biofilm, small crustaceans, etc. by decomposition. Talked about this before. I've kept a few species of small kerosens in these systems with no supplemental feeding whatsoever, and I saw them get as fat as happy and happy as any I've kept and even had some spawnings. We talked about that a few times. It's the same with that beloved aquarium catch-all of infusoria that we just talked about. These organisms are likely to arise whenever plant matter decomposes in water. And in an aquarium with significant leaves and stuff, there is likely a higher population density of these ubiquitous organisms available to the young fishes too, right? Yeah, of course. 
Now look, I'm not fooling myself into believing that a large bed of decomposing leaves and botanicals in your aquarium will satisfy the total nutritional needs of a batch of kerosens, but it might provide the support for some supplemental feeding. On the other hand, I've been playing with this recently in my Varzea or Urban Agapo setups, stocked with a rich compost of soil and decomposing leaves, rearing annual killifish with a great deal of success and no added food. Of course, the more daring among you may want to go even further in your pre-stocking work, introducing various worms like black worms or tubifex worms if you can find clean, you know, clean cultures of them, or for that matter, even blood worms, which are actually the larval phase of the midge. Yeah, I know, flying insect, kind of weird, but you can do it. Some organisms, such as nematodes and chironomids, again, bloodworms, will dig into the leaf structures and feed on the tissues themselves, as well as the fungi and the bacteria found in and among them. These organisms, in turn, become part of the diet for many fishes. It's a big old food web. In the aquarium, just like nature, some organisms, such as nematodes and chironomids, those damn bloodworms again, <laughs> will dig into the leaf structures and feed on the tissues themselves. That's really, really interesting a food web arises. Now, the thing that, that I think is really interesting is that detritus, which is produced as a result, yes, here we go again, produced by all this processed and decomposing plant matter, is considered by many aquatic ecologists to be an extremely significant source of food for many fishes, especially in areas like Amazonia and Southeast Asia, where the detritus is considered an essential factor in the formation of these food webs. And it performs the same function in the aquarium if we allow it to. It's really important to consider our botanical style aquariums or any type of aquarium for that matter to be small ecosystems which have inputs, outputs, cycles, and rhythms, all of which are dictated by the fungi and bacteria which are the real workers in our aquariums, our little friends. And you can start your aquarium with those guys and work your way up to the fishes. By taking a little extra time to educate ourselves about these organisms and the processes which occur in wild aquatic habitats, as well as in our aquariums, we're able to facilitate their growth and enjoy their benefits. I think it's something you'll be interested in. Stay curious, stay diligent, stay observant, stay creative, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman from Tannin Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me. I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tint.